Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. Welcome. Hi. How's your week going? I hope it's going great. It's been like really busy. So we've got a lot going on this month. We've got a lot of guests. We normally don't have this many guests in a row, but this is just how it's going to go. And it's And we bring you the best and the brightest only. The best of the guests. Best. Yes. Uh, We are continuing our very informal series of things that you kind of felt like maybe you should already know, but now that you're, you know, maybe in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and don't know, you feel like the ship has sailed on asking or finding out. And we are trying to bust that myth right out of the water because it's never too late to learn these things. And we don't, we, you know, we're still learning too. So today we are so excited to have Jeremy on. Jeremy is somebody who I lovingly refer to as my Nagoch coach. I don't know if he really loves that term, but I love that it rhymes so much. Jeremy and I got connected, I believe on Instagram. I actually still to this day, I'm like kind of unclear on how I found out about you, but I reached out to Jeremy a few months ago because I wanted to negotiate my salary at my job. And Jeremy has a negotiations consulting company. And I will turn it over to Jeremy in just a second to let him give himself a little bit more of an introduction. But working with him has really been eye-opening in a lot of ways because I think as a lot of people who are listening can relate, negotiating your salary or negotiating really anything feels off limits to a lot of people. And I think particularly it can feel off limits to women and it can feel like there is a silver bullet to negotiating that successful negotiators know about that like is a secret that other people don't know. And so going through the process of preparing for and negotiating a raise for myself at my job was very eye-opening in a lot of ways. And we'll get into that. But so we're so excited to have Jeremy on. Hi. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeremy Barniak. I am a corporate negotiator turned negoc coach, as Claire would say, or salary negotiation coach. And I think it's useful to just sort of start with the background of why I got into negotiation coaching. Like a lot of things, it starts with your classic midlife crisis, uh, jokes aside. But when I had children, I found that I started placing greater priority on how I spent my day and the impact that I had. With that said, my personal experiences and the data show that those who negotiate for themselves accrue significant benefits versus those who don't. And what started out as me helping friends and family family negotiate their compensation for boxes of wine and baked goods has turned into my full-time job, which allows me to help more people effectively advocate for themselves like Claire. Well, we're so happy to have you. I wanted to start really quickly because I was in a small group networking session this past week with executive leadership. For those of you who don't know, I work for a large international company with that houses, I think, double-digit numbers of brands. And I was in a small group networking with executive leadership. Women in executive leadership was sort of like the the theme. And one of the women, one of the questions that someone asked was, you know, can you give us advice on negotiating? And one of the women who is the head of brand for a very large international well-known brand said, I don't think you should ever have to negotiate for yourself. She said, I've never negotiated for myself. I think if you're not being paid what you think you're worth, you just need to find another job. I was like blown away by the fact that she would give that as real advice. And I just wanted to start with that because I think that is how a lot of people feel that like this is something that should just, you kind of just have to 
accept what you get. And if you don't like what you get, then you, then like there's, there's nowhere to go, but to just leave and go find something else. Was she coming at it from a place of like, if you're like, you should be grateful type of thing, or was it just more of like, I think it was if you a don't little like bit it, then both. leave. I think okay. it was a little bit of both. I think it was mm-hmm. like a, you should be grateful for what you get. And if you don't like it, then leave. So like kind of. Cause that's you know. a really strong theme at a lot of places where they're like, you should just be grateful. You should just be, be grateful. Totally. So I wanted to just set the stage with that because it was on my mind. Tell us a little bit, Jeremy, about like the the place where you start with a lot of your clients of, you know, those those beliefs that you have to help them break down. Gosh, that's uh, that kind of thought is so pervasive with people from uh, I don't know what generation she's from, but I heard something very similar to that from a trusted mentor of mine when I first started working uh, about sort of, you know, you get paid what you're what you're worth. Um, you shouldn't have to ask for more. Um, it's up for us to define what your compensation should look like and your other alternative is to simply go find another job. So I wish that she was the only person that held that belief, but frankly, it's it's very common uh, across all sorts of individuals. And she probably truly does think that. So where do we start? I mean, that is that might be one reason that people don't negotiate is because they're getting advice like that. But if you look at what the success rate of negotiation looks like, so for example, 60% of people do not negotiate their salaries. However, if they choose to negotiate their salaries, they're successful 80% of the time. And this goes for starting salaries when you're coming into a new job, um, which often has a higher success rate because there's more leverage before you start. And for clients that I have, you know, that's probably more like 90 or 95% of uh, clients who are successful when they ask for things. But beyond just salary, negotiation can be pervasive or can be in your career in lots of places, whether that's asking for more resources. Uh, For example, women tend to have teams that are 25 to 40% smaller than male leaders. Uh, So that's kind of a powerful statistic there. There are also lots of promotion opportunities that might be passed over because they're not asking for it. So I think that we can think about negotiation just beyond the context of salary, um, even though that's probably what we're going to dive into the most today, and think about it as playing a part in your career through lots of different angles and advocating for yourself. Let's maybe also start by just getting like a little mad. What are some of the other statistics specific to women within the workforce? Like, what are we missing out on here? Yeah, there there's a there's a lot of them, but the value, and this isn't just for women, and I'll go into um, another one that is female focused here. But the value of negotiation, I think, two two points really drive this home. Individuals that choose to negotiate in their lifetimes typically earn more than a million dollars, more than those who do not. Put another way, if you choose to negotiate your salary, you have to work eight years less than someone who does negotiate their salary to accumulate the same amount of wealth. So there's real world impact to negotiating. And sometimes it may feel like, oh, I made $5,000 more this year. And perhaps that's not a significant improvement. But when you extrapolate that out over your lifetime, uh, and you start to build in things like raises and percentages of 401k matching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those numbers can get really, really big. And there's clearly a ton of value that is flowing to individuals who are negotiating on their uh, on their behalf. I do want to make a very important point here though that we are all very aware of gender pay disparities and I don't want to say that it's because women simply aren't negotiating. That's just one tiny slice of of the pay difference. So while it might be an area that's more controllable, it's not. We shouldn't victim blame and say, "Well, we totally. can solve all of this." Yeah. <laughs> 
And I, I was just going to say that same thing that that being said, like that doesn't cover this whole, it won't bridge the entire gap, but it is one thing we can control. And I think, you know, to use like Joy as an example, I remember a couple of years ago, Joy, when you were job hunting and and the the pep talks that we would kind of give each other of like, this is, they expect you to play this game and, you know, they expect you to go back and, and negotiate the offer. They expect you to negotiate your job title potentially, like they're expecting that. And so, you know, we walk into it thinking like, oh, I don't want to make anybody mad and I, I should just be grateful for what they got, what they offered me. And there's, it's just so kind of tangled up in that, in that perception. Well, even like thinking about my entire career so far, my professional career from day one, I was just grateful to be there. I was like, I'm just happy to have a job out of grad school. And then fast forward, I get married and I watch my husband just get like raises after raises, after raises, after raises, after promotions, after promotions. I'm like, how are you doing that? And it's just like, he is a very compassionate person. He is not like the raging white male, but he's a white dude. And so there's a part of it that I almost wonder, it's just like this innate, and I don't want to like bash him at all, because he hates when when we have this discussion, he's always like, don't make me look bad. But it's like, it's not about that. It's just more about being a white man in this world. That's kind of just ingrained of like, it's not a big deal to him. He's like, don't really think much about asking for more. Like that's just kind of expected where I am like sweating bullets, having panic attacks when negotiating a raise. And so that's (laughs) something that's like, I just, even that, and we could go down rabbit holes around just the pay disparity with people of color, with different genders. I mean, it is it is a really, really big problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And it's also justifiable that you you talk about concern around negotiations. I mean, one, uh, I won't say last story because there'll probably be more, but my wife and I started working, we met, we started work on the same day together at the same role and had very similar professional experiences, promotions, et cetera, et cetera. However, when um, we started dating three years into us working together, I was making 25% more than she was. So you see this, these, these stack on effects of continuously and my and my wife is uh, heads down work hard the work will be rewarded and i am uh, a little bit more vocal about trying to to get more compensation however that said there is justified reason for being concerned as the way in which women can successfully negotiate is not necessarily the same way that a white male can successfully negotiate and there's <laughs> kind of like medicine we're all all medical research is predominantly done uh, on sort of males uh, or white males for that matter. A lot of the negotiation research until recently has been sort of from the perspective of of men and probably white males. And there's now starting to be more. Uh, so for example, Linda Babcock from Carnegie Mellon University, where I went to school, is sort of leading that female-focused negotiation research. So as we think about negotiation, what would be improper for me to come in and say like, Claire, here's the playbook that I've used to be successful and go run with it. It's going to work for you. And to sort of think about negotiation through, you know, framing it in a, in a different circumstance and applying some different techniques that can make Claire be more successful or women more successful. Okay. So I feel like we've probably done a pretty good job establishing like this is a loaded topic. It feels scary. There's a lot of reasons it feels scary. It feels beyond scary. Like culturally, there's a lot of tension around it. This is a tricky thing to approach. Whether you were taught from an early age that you should just be grateful to be there or you have had a bad experience in the past or whatever the case may be, we're all coming into this with a lot of baggage. (laughs) 
once you can get at least enough through that baggage or at least drag your baggage with you far enough to get to the point where you decide, okay, it is time either, I, I feel like these are two distinct situations so we can talk about them separately, but either I've just gotten a new job offer and I'd like to negotiate a little bit higher or I'm in a situation at work where there's an opportunity for me to negotiate a raise. Like, where do we start? Well, I always like to start really with with information. I think information and networking go hand in hand when it comes to negotiation. So Claire, you and I, we can sort of use our example as we thought about your raise ask. A lot of what we did, a lot of the time we spent was trying to figure out what is the the market rate, the internal rate that would be a fair compensation um, for yourself. And there's, there's two places really to start or sort of two pillars of information that we can work with. The first is sort of the ones that are readily available to everybody online. So going to Glassdoor or Payscale or other posted jobs from the company that you work for that might be comparable. That being said, that information can be sometimes not totally applicable to you. For example, you live in Colorado versus living in New York City or you know it's five years old, that kind of thing. So kind of reading the tea leaves of what that looks like can be kind of challenging. The other place where I believe we have done ourselves a disservice is kind of building into our uh, social DNA. And, and I was taught this from when I first started. My my manager, who I respect a ton, my, my first manager, and she is a, a very highly, uh, she's a mentor of mine, but she's like, never tell anybody your pay because only, you know, one person's going to be upset that they're not paid the same. Um, and it'll, it'll end in someone being you know, sad or hurt. And that really doesn't help actually anybody except for the companies as they look to sort of take advantage of pay disparity between people. So the second place is is networking, beginning to have discussions and being more transparent about what your compensation looks like with other individuals within your network. And there you start to get more true understanding of a person at XYZ company in X role in X place because they look just like you or they're very similar to you. They can give you much more tailored information about what a benchmark can look like. And maybe if they've been successful, give you confidence that you're able to be able to ask for more or more effectively negotiate. So I am a huge believer that networking salary negotiation goes very closely together. Are you talking about straight up just asking people what they make? Hey, what do you make in the role that I like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I also want to bring up, I know in the state of Colorado, that is specifically protected in the workplace that like you cannot be reprimanded or let alone fired for discussing pay. But I wasn't sure, and I don't know, Jeremy, if you know, is that a federal law as well? Like, I know people historically have felt like, well, if I, I, I've been told not to talk about that. Yeah. Well, it it does vary by state. Colorado is actually one of the leaders in pay transparency. Um, Ironically, I'm working with you in Colorado. Um, So there's sort of two parts to it, right? There's one piece about learning what are the appropriate pay scales for your role. And then there's the secondary component where I work with people to say, okay, now that we know this information, how do we go about addressing uh, or achieving the pay that we're looking for? Joy, to your point, you just go up to people and ask what they get paid. Maybe. It depends on sort of, it depends on your relationship. So if it's, if it's a friend, um, that might be easier, even though then there is that sort of uncomfortable context of, of finding out what people get paid. And I know we're all sort of ingrained into our social DNA to avoid that. But you can you can actually, um, there's sort of maybe some phrases, wording that can help take away some of that concern. So for example, one of my clients I was working with, we were going through this process and instead of saying, 
you know, Joy, how much do you get paid? The approach that I suggested for her is, Joy, I'm thinking about applying for this role. What what do you think it would be a fair compensation for this position? And then it's less about them and they're more likely that, to use their insight, which is related to them, but they're not saying, I make $65,000. Um, you should ask for it. <laughs> Oh, that's smart. Yeah. What I've also done and what I was doing when I was working with Jeremy was I reached out to people. As everybody knows, I the previous boss that I had was in, affected in some company layoffs. And I was able to reach out to him and say, hey, what is... Th- are you aware of like what the range would be for the roles above me and below me? Really, mostly what I was curious about was like this 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 little job level above me. Like, what does that range look like? So I could get a sense of probably what that would imply about my upper range for the. And that's a little bit more specific to like if you are in a corporation where you have a job level that is associated and is sort of like uniform throughout the company. But that's another way you can do it to in being a little more like subtle versus walking up to your coworker and being like, so how much do you bring home every week? <laughs> like, what's your uh, gross adjusted income? <laughs> but and it, and it worked like it was helpful. You know, it was, it was very, but it also didn't make him feel like I was saying, hey, how much did you used to make? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Claire's, Claire's a professional at this. Um, <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, you got let off, but sorry, what was your got, salary? Sorry, I got let go, but how much money does the department now have? <laughs> <laughs> What would you say that gap is? What I'm trying to, just like out of curiosity, what am I working with here? But I also, I also want to, before I forget this question too, and maybe I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like, how do we know there's even room to negotiate? What if the company like doesn't, they're like, sorry, like my company, for example, just went through a bunch of layoffs, but it's more of like a startup. So like that doesn't feel like something, or maybe it's just like, I'm planning long-term, like how do you work when that's a fact. Yeah, I will say right now feels like one of the more challenging times to go ask for a raise, right? Like there's layoffs all around us, people are being impacted. It just doesn't feel like the moment. However, that being said, companies are going to continue to need to retain talent to run their operations. I will, you know, the pendulum has swung towards uh, employers having power, but in this or having more power, let me put it that way. But at the same time, if any you know listeners or for you, Joy, or for you, Claire, if you've looked to hire people, you know that finding good talent is actually very tough. There is there is leverage to be had. Um, so if you're doing a good job, the likelihood is that they're going to have to backfill you by finding another person to do the same job. Then you do have leverage, and there's it, it comes down to the rationality of businesses. If they're just going to have to hire another Joy to re- to replace you at what is you know potentially a higher cost with a disruption to their business, if you can make a thoughtful, justified, and articulate rationale for why you're adding value, then it is possible. And there's, you know, any any logical business will make the decision to pay you some amount versus taking the the unknown sort of option where they have to right. then go find someone. So right, yeah, right, there is right. leverage. Which and I think that's absolutely true. And to to have that mindset is great. And Claire and I have talked about this ad nauseum a couple of years ago, I was laid off or whatever, it was like a reorg and it was a horrible situation. We kind of came to the because I think I'm great. I think I'm effing great. I am a hard worker. I'm very smart. I bring a lot to the company or wherever I am. I am type A, get it done. I'm going to toot my own horn. I am a very good worker. But that situation made me realize, like Claire and I had this rhetoric for a while where we're like, everyone's replaceable. Like it sucks when companies like have that 
mentality because I think I'm irreplaceable. I'm like, you will never find anyone like me. But they're like, well, whatever. See you later. And right, that's... Even- even this year or the summer when the my company did go through those layoffs, like we literally recorded a podcast ten minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we yeah. were we were we were like it, what we're doing right now. We were looking at each other and yep. my and my who is now my boss, who was previously my boss's boss, zoom bombed me as we were like getting ready to record, and I was like, I gotta go, and yeah. then turned around and immediately podcast right after. And and truly, like the kind of from that experience and from hearing from other people, there is also a very true reality that like at the end of the day, you are a number on a piece of paper. C- companies don't always care about you, but I th- I think it can be both and because something else right. we did talk we have talked about joy is like it doesn't necessarily matter how much your manager loves you or your coworkers love you if like your number gets pulled. But that stuff does matter when you are, if you're still there and you are looking to negotiate because then you're still in a situation where your manager can advocate for you, probably in a way that is not available to them when upper management comes and says, hey, this person's number came up and you have to let them go. That would be my my assumption. I, I agree with you on that, Claire. As it relates to just sort of advocating when there have been layoffs around you, if you're in your current role and you don't have a competing job offer, like maybe you're getting a new salary proposal or a new company offer, then it's important to do it with a bit of tact. And it takes a little bit more time um, to go through it. So burning the bridge behind you is a little bit less of the um, the approach we take when looking for more compensation. It's not sort of pounding the table, but beginning to reinforce that you know payment is important to you, salary is important to you. And maybe it doesn't happen today, but it leads when people are around a table thinking about salaries, promotions, raises, they're not going to think, oh, you know, Joy seems happy. Like she's happy with what she's paid. We don't need to give her any more money. So I, I think it's important to have these conversations continuously. It's not like a, okay, now we got to go fix it. It's a, it's it's built into how you operate to con- continuously advocate for your value, what you're delivering, and then asking or in, you know showing that it's important to you to be adequately compensated. So how often, question one, how often do you think we we should be either just having these conversations or like maybe just evaluating it for ourselves personally. How, like, what's the timeline of what we should do? I think that, I mean, at absolute minimum, once a year. The other piece too is, I think it's very important to to have these conversations with your managers prior to review cycles. So if you know that your review cycle and your promotion cycle, and then we're talking about sort of internal here as opposed to new uh, job offer negotiations, but if you have a review cycle coming up in December, in advance of that three to two months, having those discussions around, this is what I've been working on, thinking about how does that translate into the company's goals, the team's goals, your manager's goals, and showing marketing is very important for us this year. I've been driving X, Y, and Z, and this is the results that have led to us making more money. And I think that what people need to realize um, or keep in mind is that if there's a lot going on with managers, and often they will they will forget to put forward strong cases for why you should be getting paid more or putting, you know, building that into your review cycle. So making it abundantly clear, you know, writing it out. I did X that resulted in Y that led to this thing that the company cares about and making it sort of copy and pasteable uh, where they can take that in and making this as simple as possible for them to show why Joy or to show why Claire is such a significant value driver for the organization. And I love the phrase of, you know, I've been working on X. Do you see, do you believe that this is valuable to us? And then they say, yes, yes, that is valuable, Joy. And that sort of continues to reinforce that you are a value driving 
component of the organization and, you know, justify higher compensation or justify not being let go. Right. At the very least. Right. I think that's also a good exercise too in like keeping your resume updated. You know, I sure. think like that's something that Jeremy and I worked on as well throughout this. And it's something I already do. And I'm always kind of like, uh, I, I wouldn't say that at any given moment, I'm like ready to submit a job application at all. But I'm regularly sort of tweaking it and or at least like making sure it's up to date. But that could be something that you combine with that. If it if it makes you feel a little bit nervous to approach it from if you're, you know, if you're still in your head about that, like, well, I just should be grateful for being here and, and approaching it from a um, motivation of like a potential raise or ask makes you feel nervous. Maybe try approaching that exact same exercise instead from a place of like, I'm doing this to keep my resume updated. I'm doing this to keep my information current, my job description current. You know, if you feel like you can then pivot that into a conversation about your compensation, you know, maybe you can use that at that time. But I think I don't want to, I don't want people to feel like held back if they're like, well, I'm happy with my, like, I still think it's use that that's such a useful thing to go through the way you're describing it, even if it doesn't lead to a conversation about compensation. What was the second part of your question, Joy? Well, it was a, a little, it was a little bit of the both and that we were talking about before because just speaking of my place of employment is they are very heavily focused on pay equality. So you cannot, I don't want to say strict per se, because that's I don't want it to sound bad, but they want to make sure every single person is paid the same in the same roles, notwithstanding state differences, obviously, because our we have employees all, all over the place. So it's going to be different state to state. But that's something else that I, I'm like, well, I really appreciate that and value that about the company that there isn't, to my knowledge, you know, especially from the conversations I've had with HRs, they don't have the pay disparity because they're very invested in making sure everyone gets paid the same. So that's a good thing. I mean, that's I think good, that's a good that's right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, un- unfortunately, right, like the, the areas that negotiation drive the most about a value are in the places that probably have the most pay disparity or la- you know, asymmetrical Fair. outcomes, yeah. which tend to favor white males, right? Like, so exactly, um, exactly. I think it's wonderful, Joy. That's that's great that you work at a, that a company that is investing thought and you know time into making sure that they're reducing pay disparities between uh, genders or races or, or things along those lines. So, I mean, only something like 38% of companies have compensation philosophies. It sounds like yours does, um, right, which puts which, it in the minority, which is great. Which is great. And oddly enough, like, I don't know how this sounds because I'm like, I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm just grateful to be here. But I appreciate that and value that in a way of like, I really value working there for that reason that I would gladly take less money if that's a thing, you know, I, yeah. I that sounds kind of weird, because we're all we're also talking about like advocating for more money. But it, it's and I'm not saying that I'm taking less money per se. But I if like knowing that I would rather have that be a priority than me going and getting more money, if that makes sense. Like, I'm okay with that not being an option right now, because of that. And Joy, I think something to keep in mind, and it comes back to what we were talking about, or I mentioned earlier in the conversation around not just thinking about negotiations within salary terms, but thinking about sort of the broader universe of negotiations for things like special assignments, areas that are going to bring visibility to your role, larger teams. So I think that there's sort of because while maybe, and I, I don't know, but while maybe your company has done an excellent job at creating like-for-like salaries between groups and people and individuals, there could be instances where there still is asymmetric benefit going to one group or another because they're able to, they more frequently ask for things. 
Sure. So yeah. it's something to, something to keep in mind. So I, I like no, to broaden it out. Yeah. And I really like that discussion of not thinking of it just around salary. So what are other things that people come to you for? Maybe like our listeners would benefit from of like what we should be negotiating or the things that people come to you with the most or like the most common things that we maybe overlook that we should be asking for in our lives? I mean, there's really sort of three areas. And I'm sorry if there's more to add on there, but there's... No, I was just going to make a joke about you, you mentioned boxes of wine earlier. So I was going to be like, like a box. Boxes of wine, like <laughs> yes, I, I I'm generally compensated in boxes of wine. Um, yeah, there's lots of fringe fringe benefits. Well, the areas that I think that there's a lot of value to think about things through advocacy or negotiation um, the most is obviously the ones we've talked about, which is you know initial salary offers, how to negotiate them, uh, and we can talk more about specifics for your listeners as well. And then the other place that I help people out with a lot is thinking through their own internal promotions or just general career opportunity advancement. And that's not exactly where I started this little journey for myself. Um, as it related, I found myself doing lots of salary negotiations, but the more I was talking to people, the more I saw that there were these opportunities to help them outside of just these moment in time promote, you know, promotion cases, but there's moment in time negotiations and really having an outside perspective. There's a client I'm working with right now in DC who she wants to be promoted, but taking a step back, asking pointed questions about how her company operates, what they value, kind of in the same way that maybe a therapist might, where she has all the information and it's through sort of these pointed questions that we start to draw out what is the promotion case or how does she start to sort of elevate her career within it. So that's another area that I really like working with people to think through sort of how do they grow their career. I've been a manager prior to doing this for many, many years. And the thing I just liked doing the most was career development of those people that worked with me. So those are the areas that I tend to focus on. Let's take a quick break to hear about the podcast sponsors. Today, this episode is sponsored by our favorite makers of CBD products. Ned, 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues. 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation. Are you one of them? You've probably dealt with this at some point in your life, and I know how difficult it can be. Have you heard me talking recently about how I wake up every morning at 3.30? Well, Full disclosure, for a couple months, I ran out of my sleep blend from Ned, and I do use that religiously, but I started taking it again, and guess what? I'm not waking up at 3.30 in the morning. It gives me the best night's rest. This is no joke. This is not made up. This is the real deal. Ned's products are crafted from the highest grade single origin ingredients, ethically sourced from some of the world's best small-scale farms. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process. Go to their website, helloned.com forward slash joy and enter code joy for 15% off your first order. You can find products from Chapstick, which we love, to the Mellow Magnesium, also a huge fan if you need some nervous system reset throughout the day. It's a nice mellow chill the sleep blend, the brain blend, you get the idea. They have products for everybody. You can go on there and take a quiz and get an idea of what would be best for you. Discover how their products can revolutionize your health. Get 15% off with code joy. Go to helloned.com forward slash joy or enter code joy at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy to get 15% off. Thank you so much for supporting the brands that support our podcast. I think there's also something that's important to talk about, which is if you're at a job and you're like, you know what, I'm looking around me and I am fairly compensated. I feel like my title is fair. I feel like my workload is good. I feel like my team is the right size. 
we're not saying go out and find something to go argue with your boss about. Like, this is really... Right, we don't want to fire people up in that way, where we're right. all of a sudden well, just being like, let's create some problems where there's no problems. Yeah. It almost feels like that's where your question was going a little bit, Joy, of like, well, I think I'm fairly compensated. Totally, like, it's out yeah. there, and yeah. if I look around, I am where I should be. It's comparable. It feels fair. I, you know, I have the lifestyle that I want. I have the, like, the pay is, is matching up with what I, what I feel like, I, the work that I'm doing, like... We're not saying, you know, go out and find something about your professional life to be dissatisfied with just so you can negotiate about it. Yeah, well, I think it it, it does because money's very, lack of a better word, triggering for people. So I think yeah. there could automatically be this idea of like, well, should I be getting more? And But I think that's actually yeah. the question we're not yeah. asking ourselves enough. Sure. And I think that you, because you've gone through some job changes recently, Joy, you have had to ask yourself that question. But I think there are a lot of people out there who very rarely ask themselves that question, particularly women. Women, that this goes back to the beginning of the conversation where it's like you kind of just have this mindset of like, well, you should just be happy to be nominated. There is, um, you know, I think we take for granted a certain amount of self-awareness that we have in this space. And then a lot of maybe our listeners have that they're like, yeah, I, I'm aware of, you know, the pay disparity. Like I'm working on like, it's not a surprise to them. But even when I went through this process, I was surprised to find, you know, I was like, I feel pretty self-aware. I feel like I'm good at, you know, advocating for myself. Come to find that the majority of other people on my team are making more than me. And it was like, that was kind of a wake-up call for me where I was like, oh, maybe I'm not as, you know, as like forward as I thought I was being. And again, not saying like just go out and just find something to pick a fight with your boss about. But, you know, I think Don't eat, that, pray, love the situation. Don't eat, pray, yeah. Don't, don't create problems where there aren't problems. Or don't like, you know, if you're feeling great about everything, don't just like start un- turning over rocks to find something to be, to like make you mad. But I think that ultimately most of us are not being as critical about our situation as we think that we are. At least for me, like working with Jeremy and I think for people like it, it doesn't have to be, a, you know, finding going out and finding a professional coach. Like even if once you just start opening up that conversation with your friends or with your mentors, uncovering the assumptions that you're making, even just that is really useful to figure out, oh, I assumed that I knew that I was at like the top of the range for my team. I guess I should go find out if that's really true. You know, I think in Colorado, for people who aren't aware there's, there are a lot of salary transparency laws. All companies are required to post salary ranges on job descriptions and not like the bogus salary ranges that are like, you could come work here. The salary range is eighty to $400,000. <laughs> like, That's so ridiculous. No, yeah, that is not the range. But then like we were saying, you know, with different with layoffs and budgets, like there's just so much more that goes into it. And I think that it's easy to assume that you are holding a level of awareness only to come to find that like that your awareness is a lot less than you thought it was. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss is is not true within salary negotiations or just salary setting. Um, so as you were saying, Claire, kind of like testing your assumption of, well, why do I think I'm at the top of my salary brand, uh, band or bracket or what is the going market rate for a position like mine? Joy, you know, the fact that you have a very concrete understanding and answer to your compensation is great. You are the exact kind of person where we're saying, don't go, just rock the boat for the sake of rocking the boat. No, it's good to know. I really am glad you reiterated that because I think it can get in our minds and be like, because it just feels like such a touchy subject where people are like, wait a minute, am I doing it wrong? A theme that we have found throughout a lot of these, like, I don't know what I don't know sort of podcast guests that we've had on is that 
for a lot of people who are in their midlife and later, you actually might already be doing everything right. Don't try to fix it if it ain't broken. But also, a lot of us get into trouble by never examining the assumptions that we started out with as as adults, you know, that we kind of like the assumptions that you brought with you into your first job or, or whatnot. So once you have done a little bit of research, I don't want you to like, you know, give away your whole your whole process here. But once you've done a little bit of research, you feel like, okay, I found out some information that makes me believe that there's something more that I should be, that I want, whether it's more team, you know, more recognition, whatever the case may be. There's something else here that I've decided I'm not getting and I want it. Then what do you do? Well, I'm happy to give away the process. I mean, there's a a ton of information on negotiating uh, out there. There's a million YouTubes and books and things along those lines. So um, I I certainly am not like the keeper of the secret sauce of, of negotiations. That said... It sometimes is hard to know how to apply what things in what circumstances. So, and I don't know why I'm like having this vision of people on YouTube being like the angry white man that's like They're so intense. <laughs> yeah, They're so that like intense. scares me. Where I'm like, I don't know if I want to go on YouTube. <laughs> well, this is actually like what I really appreciate about working with a coach was that I came to find like there is no secret, and that to me was really empowering to realize like it's not like the the thing that. I found the most helpful and the thing that built my confidence the most was realizing like, okay, here is this person who really knows what they're doing and they are telling me that I am prepared for this conversation. I have never done anything like this before, so I don't know what prepared looks like. And so I don't even know, you know, I I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know, you know, like, okay, I have my meeting set up with my boss later today and this person who knows what they're talking about is saying, yes, this is the information you need for that meeting versus like, It would be like me, you know, showing up to like, I don't know, carve a tree with a chainsaw. Like, I don't know. I got my chainsaw. Like, I don't know. That's kind of it. And I think that to what you're saying, you know, it's not like there's there's no shortage of information out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to distill what that actually means for you in your scenario. Yeah, I I have an old house, so I tend to do a lot of DIY projects myself and nothing ever looks like what I'm trying to do. I'm like... Great. That's that's sort of 80% of what my circumstance looks like, but the other 20% feels not the same. So I think those are sometimes the instances where outside perspective, whether that be through a coach or, or a person that you, uh, you know, a trusted person in your life. If you're talking to anybody, it's probably a good starting point. That being said, sometimes you can get bad advice um, from like, you know, your parents who are like, never negotiate. But you sort of hit upon clear, like, what is the next step? So like, first, you know, gather all this information. Okay, we've gathered all the information. Now, what do we do from here? Um, and then, then the second part is sort of is to think through the, you know, the preparation piece. When I was working in corporate negotiations, what I came to find is that good negotiations are really done, you know, in that preparation piece of thinking through what are your lines of, of talking? What is the email that you're going to send? Um, if it's going to be a verbal conversation, like do role playing. I used to do role playing with our chief operating officer with how what if the conversation goes off the rails? How do you take it back? And then then you can walk in and what that leads to is confidence that translates into more confidence for having the conversation. So as a younger person, I always felt like good negotiators were just born, not created. But like most things in life, good negotiation is really um, more often than not because someone has put in the time and the effort to practice out what they're going to discuss. They have a plan for if X occurs, I'm going to say Y, a rationale so that they have some reasoning for why they are asking for something. And that gives them the confidence 
of, hey, I know that X, Y, and Z is getting paid $160,000. So I can ask for that. And that makes it more, that just creates that confidence. So I can't emphasize enough that the the preparation piece around the actual execution of it is is highly valuable and sort of the crafting of a, either a written or a verbal um, counteroffer. Again, it kind of depends on what the circumstances is. Like we, we're sort of blending two things here together. So for job offers, actually written counteroffers work quite well. Um, and, and research shows that they're a more effective way for negotiating better outcomes. In a sort of internal promotion or raise seeking situation, the lines of, you know, the forms of communication can get a little blurry. You know, maybe your boss wants to sit down and have that conversation with you. Um, so then you have to sort of prep for a verbal discussion. But preparation is, is very important. I will say that sort of that's the next major part of it to make you feel confident. And then the other piece, which I like to emphasize is not just thinking about negotiations. And, we, and this is even going sort of a little bit further is, you know, how often are you negotiating in your life? If we sort of, if we expand our definition of negotiations to not just be around sort of those highly critical things or like those really big life events like buying a house or a car or your salary, but thinking about negotiations as simply a adjustment to the status quo that can favor both you as well as your negotiation partner, start to practice them and, and just start to ask for things. Um, you know, like, hey, you're showing up at the hotel. Do you want to get the top floor? I always get great rooms at hotels, not because I have like status or any secrets, but I usually just ask for the top of the floor. You know, I get good seats at restaurants because I just ask for a better seat. Like, the more you start to do this, the more you realize that you might get no, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, a really whatever. good reminder. That's so important because it, it's like just even asking, I was just about to say, like, I think there is a point where it's, oh, what's the worst that could happen? They could say no. Like, actually, there maybe are some circumstances where there are some worse outcomes that could happen. But I think we really overthink that part. Like, really, probably for the most part, the worst that could happen is they could say no, except in a few outlying circumstances. And even just practicing that discomfort on things where it really doesn't matter if you hear a no. I remember reading about this. I can't even remember where it was or how long ago it was, where it was somebody who specifically practiced hearing no, where they would go up to someone and ask a question. Yeah, there was a some guy that wrote a book or an article or something, and he was trying to do, he was trying to become comfortable with rejection. So every single day he was trying to, I can't remember who it was. Right, I don't remember the specific Anyone out there who knows, just send it to us. But it was like, it was some type of exposure therapy, which I counsel people on all the time. It's just like, hey, if you're scared of something, go expose yourself to it and like try to practice it all the time so that it's no longer an issue. This is kind of the same thing as exposure therapy. But I love that, that it's even like, yeah, just go to the restaurant and ask for a better seat or go because that that is another scenario where I would tell myself like, oh, just be grateful for what you get. Or, yeah. oh, if they if they had a better one, they would give it to me. Like, or, you know, have, like when they say, yeah. do you want to sit inside or outside? And sometimes I'm like, I don't care. Right. So, like, say, I actually right. kind of want to sit outside. Can I sit outside? Like, that's just, it's <laughs> so funny. I'm just grateful to be alive. Okay. <laughs> like, I just, like, <laughs> thank you for talking to me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for acknowledging my existence. We joke, but you like, that's how we food. are. Yeah. <laughs> or when they bring the wrong food and you're like, no, it's fine. I'll just eat it. And it's like, Totally. Ice cream sundae and you're lactose intolerant. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so just thank you for, for acknowledging my existence. I feel like we cut you off in the middle of a deep thought because we were so excited yeah, about Yeah, sorry. We got excited about asking <laughs> for things. At the about the, the inside-outside seating yes. choices. <laughs> no, certainly not uh, anything overly deep. But there's there's a wonderful book called uh, Ask For It by, I mentioned Linda Babcock. If, if you haven't read it, it is a, 
a female focused negotiation guide and one of the chapters and something I'm thinking about actually implementing with people who ever be interested in it is this sort of six week negotiation. I, I don't know, like boot camp per se, where you just start to like week one, ask for something that would improve your life, but you don't care if you get it. Week two, you know, ask for something a little bit bigger. Week three, ask for something you think you'll never get. And then like, actually you might get it, but it comes down to that. Like negotiation is, is a muscle where, you know, if you only use it when you, you know, if you get off the couch and then you run a marathon and we'll call like a house negotiation or a salary negotiation, the marathon, there are a lot of things in between that can make that a lot easier for you. So I know Claire, when you had your conversation, you sort of felt like it was exhausting. You, you walked out of it. You're like, Oh my gosh, that was crazy. But I would be surprised that if you, you know, continue to do more and more kind of day in the life negotiations, whether it be for small things, big things or stuff that you just care about, it would feel more sort of a little less overwhelming and a little bit more palatable to your system. Yeah, you start with like, a, I always say like, on a scale of one to 10, do something that's like, kind of scary at a one or two, like don't, don't jump to a 10 where you're like, doing something like asking for something really big. So that sounds like it's kind of the same principle of just like practicing those smaller ones where you're not going to be heart palpitations. Right, don't go straight to the red zone. Right. And for anyone wondering, the jury is still out on my race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still wondering. I know, I know. I'm waiting on it. But we haven't heard back yet. <laughs> and, and Claire, you and I, have, we, we sort of exchanged a little bit of information about this. I mean, the average negotiation takes 25 days. So when people go into you know these conversations, they, they, they might hope, like the likelihood that someone walks into a conversation and they're like, you're underpaying me by X amount and I'd like more. Uh, so far to date, I have had nobody to say like, yes, you're right. Here you go. There's usually, you know, the best things are on the other side of difficult conversations, unfortunately. So uh, the reality is like, unfortunately, you're probably going to have a conversation. You're probably going to hear no. Um, I know that Claire, there's, you know, a mutual person that we know who who had asked for something and they were told absolutely not. And then as time progressed, like it actually happened. Things that start with no can turn into yeses or yes sort of. And then the other thing is usually they don't happen as quickly as we want them to. It shouldn't be surprising if these these things don't just suddenly happen overnight and now you've solved all the problems and you can move on. It's often an ongoing process. So, but you know, it is it is respect the process, I guess. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell everyone where they can find you. For those who could use a little bit more uh, help or insights into their negotiations, they can visit me and schedule time at www.peaknegotiations.com. If you're interested in uh, awkward videos on social media and why. Watching me sort of fumble my way through being an influencer, you can follow me at Peak Negotiations on Instagram. We're all always interested in more awkward Instagram videos. So more of those, please. Careful what you wish for. I can produce them at a rapid rate. I will, <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. You know where you can find us. Instagram at Joy and Claire underscore. You can email us. This is Joy and Claire at gmail.com. You can visit us online, joyandclaire.com. Thank you for being here. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Jeremy.